So we're going to Romans chapter 7. Before I read it, I wonder, is there a pattern of behavior in your life? He's away already. (laughs) Is there a pattern of behavior in your life that you would like to change? Or put more bluntly, is there habitual sin that you have tolerated and convinced yourself that you cannot live in victory over it? And by sin, let me just define what this word sin means. It means basically any act, any attitude, any lifestyle that is in rebellion against God. That is sin. Who God has revealed he is and the way he has revealed that he wants his people to live. When we live contrary to that, then we are sinning. And there are different attitudes in the church to sin. Some people around the church don't seem to think that sin matters that much. They don't seem to think it's a big deal. I observe Christians, or sort of put that in speech marks, I observe people around the church sometimes, and it appears that their attitude to sin is, I wonder how close I can get to this without actually sinning. Have you ever told a child not to touch something? And they go up to it and put their finger about one millimeter from it and turn around and smile at you. And everything in you wants to give off, but the reality is they're not actually touching it. (laughs) So they are doing what you told them to do, but they're playing a dangerous game. And I think some Christians have that attitude to sin. I know that that thing is sin. I don't intend to actually engage with it or do it, but I'm going to go quite close to it. And hopefully not get sucked in. But sin's a bit like the Death Star for you Star Wars nerds out there. Once you get close, there's a tractor beam and it pulls you in. Whether you want to go in or not. And the attitude to sin should not be, how close can I get to this without sinning? The attitude of a Christian to sin is, I'm going to turn and I'm going to run away from that as hard as I can in the opposite direction. That's the attitude we should have and should hold to sin. And I think if your attitude is that I want to get as close to this as I can without actually touching it or engaging in it, sorry to offend you, but I think you need to get born again because you're not thinking like a Christian at all. That is not the attitude that we have towards sin. Other people in the church, and this is probably a greater number of people, believe that sin does matter, but they don't really know what to do about it. They don't live in victory over it. They have maybe given up to some pattern of behavior. They live in a cycle of guilt and condemnation. Tell me, does this sound familiar? Sin, guilt, repentance, guilt, shame, condemnation, effort. And then a few weeks later, the cycle repeats. You know, it's like that t-shirt that Samuel wears, eat, farm, repeat. You know, sin, guilt, shame, repentance, repeat, and the cycle goes on. And people seem that they cannot actually live in victory over some particular sin that has got a hold of them. And that's what I really want to address this morning. Because one of the most dangerous things that you can do, if that is um, a valid description of your experience, one of the most dangerous things you can do is get comfortable with that. And think to yourself, I'm just not going to overcome that sin. That is going to be something that I will struggle with for my whole life. And I might as well just get used to it. And even more dangerous than that attitude 
is that I believe some people then go to Scripture and they read certain portions of Scripture and they misunderstand them and that causes them then to get slack and sloppy about sin. God wants a pure church. He wants a spotless bride, a pure people. That is what Jesus died for, no less. And our attitude to sin has got to be ruthless. And I want to be clear from the outset this morning, and I want you to hold on to this in case you would misunderstand me. I am not talking about sinless perfection in the Christian life. Because it cannot be achieved. Only Jesus did that. So I am not talking about somehow getting to a point where you never ever sin. Don't think that I mean that. I don't. What I'm talking about is an attitude that tolerates sin that I think comes from a misunderstanding of Scripture. You're going to have to listen hard this morning because we're going difficult places. Your last big hit before the summer. You can all relax after this. But for now, give me all you got. Romans 7. I remember hearing a guy preaching one night years and years ago. He told us, it was more of a, he was telling his story rather than preaching really and background of drugs and prison and all sorts of stuff. Really, you know, amazing radical conversion to following Jesus. And at the end of it, he, he said, sometimes I mess up, sometimes I fail. And I thought, yes, so do I. So does every believer. Sometimes we mess up, sometimes we fail. But then he said, But that's okay because didn't Paul say that sometimes he did things that he didn't really want to do and he was unable to do things that he did want to do. And at that moment, he used the scriptures to tolerate sin. And I didn't like it. (laughs) Very, very agitated about it indeed. I want to read the passage that he was referring to and I also want to go to Galatians 5 a little bit later And try to unpack and understand what's going on in these passages. So I'm going to read verse 5 and 6 of chapter 7 of Romans. And then jump a little bit further down the chapter. Verse 5 says, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. Verse 5 is past tense. Verse 6, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I'm going to move to verse 14. Now this is Paul writing. I want you to listen really carefully. Don't drift off at this point. Stay Focused. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. He's referring to the law of God. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. It is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? What a cheerful passage in Romans 7 from Paul the Apostle. And a lot of people read that and read it wrongly and have a sigh of relief about the sin that's in their lives. They do something habitually that they know is offensive to God. Or they habitually fail to do things that they know God is calling them to do. They feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit for the way that they are living. And then they read this and they breathe a sigh of relief and think, well, it's okay, Paul would have lived the same way. They read verse 15. And they see this as describing their experience. Verse 15, the, the second sentence in verse 15. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. A lot of people read that and say, well, that's me. I want to do good things. I acknowledge that God's law is good and I want to do good things, but I just can't do them. And the things that I hate doing, I find myself, I keep on doing those things over and over again. And a lot of people say, well, that's me. That's my experience. And there it is in the scriptures. Or verse 18, where Paul writes, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And again, they think, yeah, that's a good description of me. I must be okay in my failure to do what is good. And in verse 22 and 23, we we read of a war that is taking place. And then people say, "There's, there's a war going on inside me. There's God's way, you know, it's sort of like there's a boxing ring in my heart in the red corner. There's God's way. And in the blue corner, there is the sinful nature. And the two of them are slugging it out for my attention. And slugging it out for my obedience. Paul has spoken of the sinful nature in verse 5 as well that we read at the start. He says, when we were controlled by the sinful nature. What people take that to mean is part of me, and this I think is a wrong understanding. That there is part of me that is still opposed to God. There is part of me that is still dictated and governed by sin. And then they read verses 22 and 23 and they say, well, there's a battle within me. God's way and the sinful nature are fighting it out. Some days God wins and I do well. And some days the sinful nature wins and I do badly. I don't know if you've ever heard people use the phrase where they're, they're telling you about something that they know they shouldn't have done. And the phrase that you hear is, it was the old man in me rising up. You ever heard that? 
It was the old nature. It was the sin nature rising up. It was the flesh. You hear that argument whenever people do things that they know offend God. And I'll come back to that argument later. And the cry of their hearts is similar to Paul's cry in verse 24. I'm a wretched person. Who is going to deliver me from this life? You've got to understand, chapter 7 is a miserable picture of, of life. Of utter failure to do the things that God calls us to do. And continually doing the things that God calls us not to do. Even though we hate them, we still keep doing them. That's the life that Paul has described. And the big question, and I think this is one of the biggest questions in the New Testament. The big question is this. Is Paul in Romans chapter 7 describing the present life of a Christian? Is he describing the life of a follower of Jesus? Massive question. Massive folks. Because you get it wrong, I believe you will tolerate a lot of things in your life that God wants to put to death. Yes, he uses the first person when he's writing. But does he use the first person because he is describing his own present experience? Or does he use it as emphasis as he describes something else? Look, at, look again at chapter 7. Look at these verses. Now you know Paul, you've read the New Testament, you've read the letters of, these, of this great man. I want you to read this and tell me, do you really think Paul is writing about himself as a Christian? Look at verse 14. I am unspiritual. Now if you've never noticed, Paul is the great champion of the Holy Spirit. But in verse 14 he writes, I am unspiritual. He also writes in verse 14, I am sold as a slave to sin. And he writes in verse 17 at the end of the verse about sin living in him. Is that Paul's Christian life? Now we might go there and we might think, mm, that, that's my Christian life, so I will understand it in the way that suits me. I want to understand what Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and what he meant. Is this him describing his current life? What comes before Romans 7? That'll be right, Romans 6. And what comes after Romans 7? Yes, Romans 8. I'm glad you just got that right. And one of the things that I am big on is reading the Bible in context. The problem sometimes with some of our teaching and our theology is it's here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse. And we just pull in little snippets to build whatever we want. We didn't get the Bible that way. We got Romans as a letter, a full document. And we have to take into account what it says. 714, Paul says, I am unspiritual. Stick with me. 714, he says, I am unspiritual. Is he describing himself? Look at chapter 8, verse 4. In chapter 8, verse 4, he talks about us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. In chapter 7, verse 14, he appears to say, I am unspiritual. In 8, 4, he clearly describes himself as living according to the Spirit. 
in verse 9 of chapter 8, he speaks to the people that he's writing to and he says, you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. So are the Roman Christians somehow at an advanced level that Paul is not at? That he says of himself, I am unspiritual, but you guys are spiritual. Do you think that they are somehow somewhere that he has not got to himself? In verse 14 again of chapter 7, he says, I am a slave to sin. Do you really think that's the life of Paul the Apostle? Look at chapter 6. Over and over again, the whole chapter, I'm only pulling out a few verses, but the whole chapter is just ringing with this over and over again. Look at verses 6 to 7. Hold in mind what Paul says in 7.14. I am a slave to sin. Look at 6.6. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 17, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, used to be, past tense. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin. Chapter 8, verse 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Is it possible that Paul can describe himself as a Christian, as a slave to sin in Romans 7 and write all of that in Romans 6 and Romans 8? Is it actually possible? Now you may have held on to this for a long time and I'm challenging you to wrestle with scripture and not with what you've been taught. Wrestle with it. Because do you know what? If Paul says in 7.14 that he's a slave to sin and then on the chapters on either side he talks continually about being set free from sin and no longer a slave, the guy has got a problem. He's just bouncing all over the place inconsistently if that's what chapter 7 is about. In 7.17 he says, sin lives in me. In his apparent description of his Christian life. Sin lives in me. But in chapter 6 verse 2. He says we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In verse 11 he says count yourselves dead to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. In 6.12 do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Does that sound like the words of a man who is a slave to sin? Think about it. Because if we misunderstand chapter 7, I guarantee you, you will tolerate sin in your life that God wants to put to death. You will. You will go there and you will find comfort. And you will live in a cycle of guilt and shame and sin and repentance and guilt and shame and sin and repentance over and over and over again. You will not experience the victory that Jesus won on the cross and you will not therefore be effective on mission in this world because on any given day you're going to have a pile of guilt and shame dripping around you. We need to be ruthless about sin. I do not believe in chapter 7 of Romans that Paul is speaking about the Christian life. And I'm frankly shocked that some people do. Prominent people. I 
can't understand how you can read those three chapters and come to the conclusion that Paul is describing his life in Christ in chapter 7. He is describing, I believe, he is looking back to life before Jesus, before the cross, before the Spirit, life of living under the law and acknowledging that God's ways are good, but I can't live up to them. He's looking back to his past and he is speaking in the, in the first person present to make an emphasis, to really ram the point home of the desperation that somebody feels when they're trying to keep a bunch of rules, which is what so many non-Christians think Christianity is about. And if we accept this as being our lives and we live like this, we're not going to live in a way that is going to empower others to follow Jesus. You see, the problem with the law of God is the law of God exposes sin. It points out sin in my life, but it does nothing to help me overcome it. Nothing. Chapter 8, verse 3 says that the law was powerless to do something. It's all well and good, the law coming along and telling me, do not covet That's great. That will expose my covetousness. But it will not change my covetousness. Do you understand? It won't transform me to live in a different way. It will just point out the areas in my life that are wrong. And the law was deficient in that point. The law ultimately was a good thing and it was from God. But it could not transform the human heart. And Paul in Romans 7 is writing about people who are trying to obey God through their own efforts. And when he cries out at the end of the chapter, who will deliver me from this body of death? He then answers his own question immediately after. In verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The one who will deliver me from this life is Jesus. And I know, and I'm sorry to be so dogmatic about it, but sorry, not sorry. I know that Paul is not describing the Christian life in Romans 7 because he never mentions the Spirit once. And Paul cannot talk about the Christian life without talking about the Spirit. He just pulsates with the Spirit. Buy yourself a new Bible. Read the letters of Paul. Highlight every mention of the Spirit, spiritual, anything to do with the Spirit. And you will be dumbfounded at how obsessed the man is with the Spirit for the Christian life. And whenever you read, whenever you get into chapter 8, which I believe is describing the Christian life. After reading chapter 7 and not seeing the Spirit mentioned once in 7, 7 to 25, you get to chapter 8 and the Spirit is mentioned 20 times in the first 27 verses. That's the Christian life. Let's read a wee bit from from verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, listen to what has happened. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. 
We struggle and we struggle and we struggle, Paul says, in this Romans 7 life. That's the way people were living. But God then came in Jesus and he did what the law couldn't do. Not only did Jesus pay the penalty for sin, but the massive part that the church in Northern Ireland just doesn't seem to get is that he then sent his spirit to live within us and to transform us. And we've just missed that. There's, a, there's a, a section of the church that majors on the Holy Spirit. But even in that, reduces the Holy Spirit only to spiritual gifts. I believe in spiritual gifts. But the Spirit is all of life, folks. The Spirit in me is what empowers me and transforms me. I am not trying to please God in my own efforts. He is living in me and he is transforming me and transforming my desires. That's the Christian life. Alive in the spirit of God. Paul is not talking about a struggle. Get this, please. He is not talking about a struggle inside us. Where God's ways are battling with an old sinful nature that is still here. He is not talking about that struggle. Paul does not recognize any such struggle. In verses 5 to 8 of chapter 8, he does talk about a struggle, but it's not internal. Verse 5, he says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature. There is no battle going on inside you folks. And stop saying that there is in order to justify sin. The battle is external. I am a person in whom the Spirit of God lives. And there is a war raging between the Spirit of God in me and the sinful nature in the world around about me. That's where the battle is. We are living the life of the future in the present with God's presence dwelling within us. And there is a constant battle, but it is not in here. It is between me and this world around me. There's nothing in me. There's no sinful nature that tempts me. There's a sinful world that tempts me. Do you understand? Locate the battle correctly. It's not in here. It's between what's in here and what's out there in the world. The sinful nature is not some residual part of me from before I follow Jesus. The sinful nature is the world in rebellion against God. And the conflict between the spirit and the sinful nature is not internal inside me. A lot of people look at the Christian life and say, I can't keep all those rules. Well, neither can I, nor do I care for rules. People say they can't live the Christian life. They look at it and they acknowledge it and they say, well, that, that's good. I can see that that's good. But I just couldn't do it. I can't do it either. It's the Holy Spirit in me that does it. Let's go to Galatians 5. I'll not spend as long there, but just to, 
to see another verse that people again sometimes misunderstand and they pull it into Romans. Galatians 5 verse 17. And hear again how this could be misused. How it could be misunderstood. Galatians 5.17 The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Now again, lift that out of context, isolate that verse from everything around it, and it looks like it's saying there is a conflict between the spirit and the sinful nature. There is a conflict, we take it and we internalize it. Paul doesn't internalize it. Paul just says there's a conflict. And he says at the end of the verse, the outcome is that we don't do what we want. And we say, well, there it is again. We misunderstand and we say we want to do good, we want to please God, but we don't do it because of this conflict. You understand how the verse can be taken to to justify this internal warfare that people talk about? But read the context. Back up to verse 15 and see what's going on in the Galatian church. Verse 15, Paul says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. Or you will be destroyed by each other. If you keep gossiping, he says. If you keep snapping at each other. If you keep sinning with your tongue. And how you speak to each other. And how you speak about each other. You're going to wreck the whole thing. I was speaking to a guy yesterday. Who's just back from about a month of preaching. In Rwanda and Burundi. Half the churches in Rwanda. Have been started from splits. Half the churches. In Rwanda. Started from splits. And the reason for the splits. Has been the invasion of the prosperity gospel from America. Into Africa over the last couple of decades. Half the churches there. Exist because they split. With an original church. We have this ability in the church. To backbite. To devour. To gossip. To snap. To be careless with our tongues. And that's the context that Paul is writing in Galatians 5. He's writing to a church in which there is a lot of division. He goes on in verse 19 to describe the acts of the sinful nature. Now some of them are what you would expect. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. But listen to this. Hatred. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Those are all sins of relationship. Fighting, squabbling, envious of other people, dividing. That's the context he's writing into. He's saying if you follow the sinful nature of the world around you, that's what you will see. Splits, divisions, gossip, fighting, tongue in each other. But Paul presents an alternative in verse 16. This, I think, is my favorite verse in all of Paul. I love this. He says in verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the sinful nature. 
Walk in the Spirit. That's a command. That is not an option. Can I say this lovingly if at all possible? If you're not walking in the Spirit, you really need to assess your life. Because the New Testament knows no Christianity that is not walking in the Spirit. It does not know a Christianity that is not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just doesn't. Re- Paul would not recognize it at all. He would be baffled at a church that talks about God and talks about Jesus and never talks about the Spirit to empower the Christian life. To give us the strength to do what God calls us to do. Paul just couldn't. He wouldn't be able to fathom that at all. Walk in the Spirit is the command. And the promise is that when you walk in the Spirit. You will not gratify the sinful nature. You won't do the things that the world around you is doing. The church will present people with an alternative community. And an alternative way of living. Where we don't slabber about each other all the time. Where we don't gossip. Where we aren't sharp with our tongues. Where we aren't divided and creating little groups and factions and gathering around different people. He says if you walk in the Spirit, you won't do those things. There is a conflict in verse 17 between the Spirit and the sinful nature. And he says if you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit will not allow you to live in the way that you're currently living. If you walk in the Spirit, that backbiting and devouring will stop. The Holy Ghost will transform you. You'll not talk like that anymore. Look at the end of verse 16 and the end of verse 17 at the same time. The end of verse 16 says, You will not gratify the desire of the sinful nature. The end of verse 17 says you do not do what you want. And they are parallel. So whenever Paul says at the end of verse 17 you do not do what you want. He means what, what the sinful nature in the world around you wants you to do. The gossiping, the slabbering, the immorality, whatever it may be. You won't do it. You won't be able to do it. Because you're walking in the spirit. And he empowers you and strengthens you to not do the things that the sinful nature would ask you or would call you to do. The conflict is external. It is not internal. It is not internal. You live according to the sinful nature of the world around you. And your your life will be marked by immorality, idolatry, hatred, discord, envy, all of those things. But if you walk in the Spirit, your life will be marked by love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Those are beautiful things. And you cannot display those things in your life without the Holy Spirit. And if we accept a life where there is some sort of residual sin nature... That allows me to tolerate sin that is offensive to God. I won't see much of that fruit coming out of my life. Right? The two are mutually exclusive. The Holy Ghost doesn't share me with anyone else. You ask maybe. David does the old sinful nature never rise up within you and get the better of you. 
does the old man, as they say in Northern Ireland, evangelicalism sometimes, does the old man never rise up and win the battle? And the answer is this, no. Do I sin? Yes, I do. Do I blame the old man? No, I don't. Now, listen to me and get this, because we've got to change the way we talk about sin. Does the old man ever rise up and somehow overpower the Spirit of God in me so that I sin? No, he does not. And the reason he does not is because of Galatians 5.24. Look at it and stop talking about an old man or an old sinful nature getting the better of you. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but things that get crucified die. The reason that the old man and the sinful nature does not have a conflict in here with the Spirit of God is because he's dead. There is no old man. He has been put off. He has been gone. In baptism, we put people under the water and we bury them to symbolize that that old nature is dead. And we raise them up into a new life in the Spirit. There is no sinful nature in here. The Spirit of God dwells in here. And if I sin, then I have been tempted by the sin nature of the world around me. And I have refused to receive the grace and strength and power of the Holy Spirit to stand up to that temptation. And I have made a conscious decision to give in to that temptation. And I have decided to sin. And I have no one to blame but me. No one. I cannot blame the devil. And I cannot blame some residual sin nature that the word of God says is dead. Dead. And repeatedly in Romans, Paul talks about putting sin to death. We should be constant executioners in the power of the Spirit. Not sitting back and tolerating it and reading these scriptures and saying, well, it's okay. It's not okay. God wants a spotless bride. He wants a spotless bride. And we need to stop talking like Northern Ireland evangelicals. And we need to stop talking like children of the Reformation. Thank God for the Reformation. We need to start talking like New Testament Christians who actually wrestle with the scriptures and believe it. And do not create spaces in their lives for little sins. I hate sin. I hate it. I hate it. I detest it. The Holy Spirit in me causes me to grieve desperately when I sin. And most of the time when I do sin, it's it's this wretched tongue. Snapping. Failing to show love. Failing to show long suffering. But when I do it. The Holy Spirit is grieved. And he convicts me. And I repent. I don't blame some old sinful man. Saying oh, he got the better of me there. No he's dead. He's long gone. Long gone. So say. Say last Wednesday night. I'm watching the football. On TV and. Football's over. And Linda's gone to bed early, so I'm at the TV on my own. And I go channel hopping. She should never do. 
I go channel hopping after nine o'clock on my own in front of the TV. And I end up at places where I should not go, watching things that I should not watch and thinking things that I should not think. If I do that, that's my decision. That is not the old man. And it's funny how attentive you were when I told you that. It's not true, but I told you it in the first person so you could see the impact that speaking like that makes. The emphatic nature of it didn't happen. Thank God it doesn't happen. But if it did, it's my decision. And it's, there's no one to blame. And Paul goes on in Galatians 6.1 to say, If anyone is caught in a sin, so we're not talking about perfection. If anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. Sin happens. But folks, let's be ruthless about rooting it out so it doesn't happen very often. Let's get up in the morning and intend to not sin. The old man is crucified, dead. I am filled with the Spirit of God. And he empowers me to live the Christian life. I can't do it. And if you are not a Christian, or you're not currently walking with God, and you look at the Christian life, and you think there's a whole bunch of rules that I can't keep, and things that I can't do, you are ripe for the gospel. And to hear about King Jesus, who died and rose again to deal with the sin problem, and then sent the Spirit so that I could live the life he wants me to live. And you as well. That's Christianity. Christians are spirit people. They're not rule keepers. They're not religious. They're born again. The old man is dead. And I invite you to that life. And those of you that have slipped back into a pattern of tolerating sin. Or into trying to keep rules. Invite you to a life in the Spirit. Embrace Him. Throw yourself open to Him. Even as we sing, or if you want to pray with somebody afterwards in the prayer room in privacy, and you want to just say, I want this life where the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms me. So it's not, Thou shalt not covet. It becomes, You're not going to covet anymore, because I'm going to change you. It's not thou shalt not steal. It's you won't steal anymore because you won't want to. It's not thou shalt not bear false witness and tell lies. It's the Holy Spirit coming in and saying, I'm going to change you. You won't want to lie anymore. Well, that's life, folks. That's life in the Spirit. Sick of rules in the church. Rules are nothing. Rules are death. This is life. And there are places in the Scriptures... I'm done. I'm about to keel over. I have to lean on. <laughs> there are places in the scriptures where we will go and we will agree to disagree. There are different viewpoints on different things and we might look at it and say, well, I believe that about that scripture and you believe this. And here's why I believe that and here's why you believe this and I can understand your view and you can understand my view and we can hold a difference of opinion. I'm going to just lay it out for you. If you read Romans 7 and you think that is a description of the Christian life, 
life in the spirit that King Jesus died for, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. And I call this church to live empowered by the spirit and to be ruthlessly intolerant of sin and instead live in victory. Empowered. It's the only way to live. It's the only way to live. It's the way you were designed to live. Indwelt by God as a temple of his spirit. It's the only way to live. Try it any other way and you will just end up in frustration and failure. Crying out, wretched man, wretched woman that I am. Will I ever get this right? No, you won't. Embrace him. Father, thank you for the gift of life in your spirit. And Lord, I ask that every heart in this place would do business with your word and with your spirit this morning. And that any cages that have been rattled, Father, that the default position will not be to get defensive, but will be to ponder and meditate on what has been read from your word this morning, to reflect on it. You died for a spotless bride. You are returning for a spotless bride. You died to make us clean and pure. You sent your spirit so that we would live the life of the future in this present sinful age. And God, I ask for myself and everyone here for a fresh infilling and indwelling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord, more and more. Everywhere we look, we can see the sinful nature. Everywhere. And we need your strength, O God. Father, set us free from rules and religion. Lord, bring freedom to hearts here that are trying so hard in sincerity to please you and live for you and are finding it so difficult. Lord, I pray for freedom this morning. That your Holy Spirit would cause their hearts to soar this morning and to sing. That you would flood them with new life and determination. And a knowledge, Lord, that you have not, you didn't come and die for us and then vanish again and leave us to just slug it out in the trenches for the rest of our lives. You live within us. Oh God, may we, may we live New Testament Christian lives. May we embrace the, the teachings and the life of Jesus and the teachings of Paul as he, as he unpacks the life of Jesus and the Spirit for us. May we take them seriously, Lord. May we wrestle with them for ourselves. May we talk about them and discuss them over coffee. What, oh God, may we no longer settle for some sort of substandard Christian living that, that cripples us and shackles us and prevents us from being effective in this world because we've always got guilt and shame hanging around us. Deliver us, Lord, we pray. Let your spirit breathe upon us this morning. And may we glorify and exalt you in our lives.